Hi, this is Joshua Townsend with Notes on Your Notes, and we're going to have a little chat before our episode starts because I wanted to share with you about this retreat that's coming up at Hollyhock, which is on Cortez Island in beautiful British Columbia. Uh, it's right around the corner. So first of all, who would want to or have the desire to come up and do this kind of intensive work for four days with me? And I would say that anyone who's involved as an actor or a writer or a director or even someone who has a story that, that's burning inside of them and they have to, to get up and out in a safe in a safe environment that's fully supported. And that's part of what we, we do up there. We want to create space that's safe and, and supported and it's a, a container for you to do your best work and also to go into whole other areas that you, you know, that you have never explored. And, and that's really required. A lot of times, um, we can use the, the nature analogy of, of like a seed, all right? You, you don't just put a seed out and expect it to grow. You need to give it certain environments. And that's what we're going to be doing up at, up at Hollyhock. Um, so we're going to be working with uh, all of nature. We're going to be working with uh, relaxation. We're going to be working with different sensory uh, experiences. And those sensory experiences build us to a, sen- a certain sensibility as, as an artist. One of the things is important to me is making sure that we have more range, more possibilities, more freedom of self-expression. And ultimately, we're going to become more aware of our own inner process and then connecting that inner life or that inner process to our creative work. Besides that, we're going to have a whole lot of fun because there's a lot of nature and a lot of great people there. So I look forward to seeing you there. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact me and we'll take it from there. And now let's get back to our notes on our notes episode. Now arriving downtown Santa Monica station. Hey Adam, it's time for notes on your notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I am Joshua Townsend. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Storytelling. Josh and I have been talking for two hours. It's a good thing, huh? Because we're warming up. We're talking story, actually, aren't we? We're talking the real estate story, the relationship story. Yeah. The housing story. Housing story. It's all stories. All stories. The stories we tell ourselves. Did you tell yourself any stories on the way over? I told myself a little bit of a story. And the story that I want to talk about today is the story between the stories. <sighs> oh, you know what just happened? What? Um, so Josh pitched me today's show, which <laughs> is about yes. the scenes between the scenes you see, yes. basically. Yes. And I was just trying to fill in everyone on like what happens between before Josh and I, the scene before Josh and I tape this podcast, which... Yeah. Today was like a very lengthy conversation about the Los Angeles real estate market. Yeah. Which is really, I know, scintillating to many, <laughs> to people out there. Yeah. 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 And, and who you have in your home. Oh, wow. Who yeah. you choose to allow in your home. Your personal space. Personal yeah. space. Yeah. There's so much that goes into all those 
choices. Gone before, all the gone befores, which help build expectations, and then the experienced reality of what the person is going through, and then how that character or person chooses to experience it or interpret it based on their history. All those things come into play in that single moment. I was having conversations with people on the way here on my hands-free device, and um, you know, it was so interesting hearing their emotional tone and then as they unspooled their story of what was happening to them in the last couple of days. And I'm like, oh, no wonder they're sounding the way they're sounding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You picked up on the initial emotional pitch, but then there was a story behind it. Oh, yeah. Lots of story. Lots of depth. Because it was a lot of emotional charge, which has nothing to do with our conversation. And yet it's there. You know what story I'm thinking on. about? Yeah. What are you thinking about? Adam? Adam? I heard about this this screenwriter who writes like 300 pages of his scripts uh-huh. and then cuts it down. And it made me think about what you're saying a little bit, which is that some people will go out and write everything that happens and mm-hmm. then they'll sort of cull the story from there. And you don't have to go do that. You don't have to go write a 300-page screenplay. 300-page screenplay that is going to end up ultimately being 110. But... Uh, I do think sometimes thinking about your script in a way where, or your story, or your solo performance, in a way that you don't put uh, like any sort of boundaries around it when you're out, right? Mm-hmm. Like you let you just write whatever scenes you need to write. Mm-hmm. And I know you're talking about something slightly different. You're saying like, even if you have a completed draft of something, whether mm-hmm. it's a novel. Mm-hmm. Think about like everything that happened, the scenes that happened in between yeah, that are not in your story. Yes. So why do you think that's important? Because it feeds the present moment. And without it, we're left with less resource, with less mm, foundation, with less uh, layers or depth. Like, for instance... Um, if I if I am in a roommate situation and I need to confront my roommate and tell my roommate to leave, mm-hmm. um, what, who, or what would I uh, interact with that would help me? And oh, and that's a problem for me. I'm not I'm not someone who's usually usually combative. Um, who or what would I interact with in order to help me get to the place where I can do that? And so I'm going to need to source different things in order to have that scene, in order to have that confrontation. And so if I'm like a new agey person, then I might need to go to a crystal shop and buy two special crystals to put in my pocket so that I can have that grounded power. Right, obviously. Right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> who wouldn't? I mean, come on. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm the kind of person who goes to a therapist, I'm going to maybe have a whole session with my therapist around, around how I, I can approach that and what the ideal future would be and, and how to start that conversation. Right. And if you, or if you like to drink, you might go have a couple of drinks at the bar before you talk to your roommate. Yes, exactly. So finding whatever that whatever that character would do in terms of preparation for that scene and then allow or discover things from that to to come in to influence the scene that actually plays out. And that's huge. But here's and here's the other and allow that to come in. And then every character, every character, every human being has an ideal future 
So if I know I'm going to have a confrontation with someone that I need them to leave and I feel like they're not going to be in in compliance with me, um, comply with my wishes, I'm still going to have like an ideal way. I know I'm going to say it like this and then they're going to say this. And I have a sense of the ideal. And then I need to have a sense of, of the worst case scenario because what that does is it creates a pressure between those two realities and I have something to press up against. Otherwise, if I live in the middle, which most most people tend to write to, well, it wasn't exactly like that. Well, I wanted to be kind. I want to be compassionate, all those things. If I stay in the middle, I have no pressure on either the, the, the good side or the bad side. Is that is that making concrete sense? Give me an example of it. Like in the example of having a confrontation with a roommate, mm-hmm. I would, I would, and I know the characters, I know the character of the roommate, so I know how they're going to respond, right, or how I think they're going to respond, and so then I would go in there and go, okay, I know, I know, I'm going to use nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. right, and I'm going to really set it up, and I'm going to explain it, I'm going to give them this example and this example and this example, and then they can see where I'm coming from. And they'll have no choice but to say, oh, wow, you're right. No, no, how can I make, you know, how, you know, how can I make the arrangements? And, you know, and I already know I'm going to give them back their deposit and, you know, all this stuff. So that's the ideal. And I'm going to hold on to that ideal when I go into the scene. And then when they have pushback, then I have something that I'm, I'm moving, I'm wanting to move the scene toward. A lot of times people get caught up in that thing of like, well, this is the way the scene goes. And I go, no, people are not like that. People don't want the scene to go into a downward spiral. People want to achieve what they wanted to achieve at the beginning of the scene. So they're always going to be pushing for that. That's the difference. So if you're someone at home who's either writing a new project or you have an existing project that you're trying to improve, Mm -hmm. what would you suggest they do? To actually um, write the scene with all of the antecedent condition that exists, all of the history, all of the things that are, all the characters exist as they are, but then the, the main character, me, would have an ideal future of how I want that tough scene to go. Like I have to fire someone or I'm getting called into the office and I'm being fired. But I still have an ideal of like, I want to keep my job, right? Otherwise, there's no, there's no, there's no conflict. Mm-hmm. See, what this is doing is actually, it's actually creating an internal conflict or an internal pressure to make the scene uh, uh, be in a very real space. Otherwise, the scene is flat. Right, but I feel like you were talking about something different before, which is that it's not just about having real conflict in the scene Mm -hmm. and having an imagined future from the main Mm -hmm. character's perspective. Mm -hmm. You're talking about something different, which is that in order to get to that point, if you're at home working on a project, you're suggesting you should write all the scenes that lead up to that so that you have a, a, a layered understanding of what this person's reality is like and the decisions they've made leading up to this final decision. Right, but those scenes that are leading up to that confrontational scene include the ideal future 
those those scenes the reason why you have those scenes the reason why you have those experiences in life talking to your therapist going to your crystal shop talking to your barber whatever it is those are those are ways and tools and resources to make that scene go the way you want it to go otherwise i wouldn't carry two crystals in my pocket into that scene because i i wouldn't need it or i wouldn't go to my therapist and they would give me nonviolent communication phrases that I should say, or maybe I even wrote like a phrase on, my, on the palm of my hand, like, okay, when they say that, then here, remember this, say this. Right. But it needs to go to behavior. It needs to go to a person, place, or a thing to make it viable so that we can experience it in the narrative, meaning it can't be just an idea. It needs to be physicalized. Um, and that's true of, of film and plays and novels and everything. Otherwise, it's just an idea. And by physicalize, you mean actually you need to actually sit down and either write or know what this character has done physically with whom in the previous, you know, time leaving, leading up to the scene that is important to you in your final product. Yes, actually write it. Actually do the write. Don't Josh, leave it to it's so much work. It's not a lot of work because this is the part where it's creative and this is where you can get good things. Like, for, like let, let's use the crystal example. Like someone goes to a, a crystal shop and the person says, oh, these crystals will help ground you, blah, blah, blah. And then and they go, okay, um, put these crystals in your pocket when you go in and to have that scene. Then if I never, if I never activate those crystals in the scene, if I never touch them, if I never like, then it's all for nothing because it hasn't it hasn't uh, shifted my behavior. It hasn't moved me in another direction. Right. That's and that's it. It has to do with cause and effect. That's what we're looking for. A lot of times we have these scenes or these moments where they're interesting and they're fun, but if they don't affect the next scene or or some scene relatively soon, then it's for nothing. It's just and then and then and then, and then if the scene doesn't go well. If I don't get what I want when I'm kicking my roommate out, then I go back to the crystal shop and go, these crystals don't work, or whatever it is, or an ongoing thing with your therapist. So have you ever used crystals or what? Well, do you carry crystals into scenes of confrontation in your life? I don't, I don't, I, I, not, not on my person anymore. No, I just, I just keep them in my, I keep them in my backpack, you know? So un, under those dresses, I can pull out, you know, crystal quartz or magnesite. Or, There's a little internal pocket in your pants. That's where it goes. The, oh, you saw that zipper. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> well, that can be the thing. And then, you know, I, you know, I think magnet therapy is really underrated as well. So I try to, I've know. heard it can help with insomnia. People mm-hmm. sleep on magnets. Oh my gosh. It feels fantastic. Yeah. Do you sleep on magnets? I, I sleep on a grounded mat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm, 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 I have a savings account that one day I'm going to have a, you know, a full on, uh, magnetic, uh, pad that I sleep on. Are they very expensive? Like 8k? Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. For, you know, double, you know, double thick. But, you know, if, if you're trying to affect the, the megahertz and the, you know, the grounding and the north-south polarity on the planet, that's the least you can do. That's the least. Come on. You know, and yeah. it's eight hours. I mean, think about it. You're, you're in bed for eight hours. It's like, you know, I'm not doing anything else. It's a lot of time. It is. So why not, why not source it out so you can get maximum benefit? This has been Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. <laughs> and I'm still Joshua Townsend.
Hollyhock, Joshua, July 4th weekend. Get it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, we'd love for you to rate us on the iTunes store. It helps raise awareness. We're almost, I think, at 30 reviews. And tell your friends about it. Share it on social media. The music on this podcast is courtesy of Kevin McLeod, and the sound editing is courtesy of me. We'll talk to you next week. We're rolling. I thought well, this whole thing was rolling. I th- are we going to do a real estate podcast? We should do a relationship podcast, a real estate podcast, a financial planning podcast. Because Joshua Townsend, we had lunch and dinner at Inaka in 2014, and you told me yes. there was going to be a correction in the market. And it's I said, just a matter of when, yes. And, and I said when, uh-huh, and uh-huh. you said the next 18 to 24 months. And okay. Okay. All right, I missed my timing, didn't I? But I'll I'll tell you, I, I had the same thing going on. I I wanted to get into the market with my sisters in 2013. Okay, but can I can I distinguish between something? So calling a market, yeah, is impossible. a very hard thing to do. Impossible. There are a lot of people write about the housing market in 2005 who couldn't keep their investors in it because prices kept going up. Right? right. Like there were there were shorts. Yeah. There were guys trying to short the market in 2005. Yeah. yeah. So that's a totally hard, difficult thing to do because yeah. you never know. And there are so many factors. There's like so many factors. You know, central bank, how much money they... If people just keep pumping money in the market, it doesn't matter how irrational it is. It'll just yep. keep going up. Yeah. So you're talking about something different, which is like the way I think, which is there's a lot of value out there because prices are depressed and people are scared. Like that's how I think. When that rolled around, I was shopping for houses because I was like, Everyone, when people are scared, when everyone is terrified and values are low, that's mm-hmm. when I'm like excited. When things are like right now, I'm just like, fuck, this isn't, I don't know what to do with this market. Yeah. That's what I feel. Yeah, you're right. Like 2013 was easy. Yeah. Like that was just like buy whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. Because LA is still going to be here. It's still going to have inventory problems and your risk is so mitigated because prices are so low. Mm-hmm. But then there were people who were like, no, things are going to go lower. It's scary. Mm-hmm. There were those people. Yeah, there's always. I mean, that's that's the push and the pull. That's the push and the pull. But 2006, you know, people were saying, if you don't get into the market now, you'll never get in. I don't think people are saying that now. I think people are more like my sister's in a stuck place where she's just like. I got an email the other day that said that exo- those exact words. If you don't get in now? Yeah. No, there are people, I think the perspective now is different. It's not, it's, I understand what you're saying. You got to get in. Yeah. It's more just like this big correction that everyone says is coming is not coming. Mm. So I just got to decide if I want to be a homeowner because things are not going to get much cheaper. You're right. There's going to be a correction. I think things are going to come down like 10, 15%, yeah. but the inventory problems are never going to go away. So, you know, it's like, if you want to own a house, whether you buy it now or you try to time the market, it's like, who cares? It's more about like, what can you afford? And well, see, that's the bigger question right now, which is, can you hold it? Whatever you buy, can you yeah, hold you it? Yeah, you buy something within your means and yeah. get on with your life. That's right. that's a shitty play because no one can afford in neighborhoods they want to live in. That's the reality. Right, right. So I was looking into a house in West Cabina. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was that was the whole joke. Hey, but exactly. <laughs> but the houses out there run five, five to seven hundred thousand dollars for like a house house. Three bedroom, two bath. And that's not going to get any cheaper. And when this market, when we hit in a recession, which we eventually will, those houses that are five to seven hundred will be four to six hundred. Maybe. 
Right. And but the other side of it is that they have little to no upside. Uh I right now, yeah. I agree. Well, even even when even when it slides, it slides south, but then when on the on the next upturn, it it because I remember specifically in 2007 that it was the same pricing. This they, they're having the same pricing in those areas as, as we are today. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like so the, the amount of secondary markets, secondary markets that are always going to take longer to come back. Yeah, and then when they come back, they don't come back with much power because there's no scarcity. Because if you don't get a house in West Covina, you can get a house in Temple City. <laughs> to some degree. It's just an interesting thing, and and uh, you know, it's like Manhattan. It's like you know, if you're either on the island or you're not. Yeah, I told my sister to buy. I said, if you're going to be in New York the rest of your life, I don't think Brooklyn Heights, which is an A plus neighborhood, is going to get any cheaper. I think if we have a downturn, it'll come down by ten percent. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about you finding a place you really want to live in, and you making the personal decision that you're willing to stay in New York for ten years and work in a real job. Right, and lifestyle and what you can afford. Yeah. Yep. There's no use trying to time the market, and even though Brooklyn real estate is out of control. I mean, yeah, things will come down. That $800,000 apartment will be seven twenty-five. Yeah. for three years of yeah. a recession. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you're, right, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah. If you have a 10, 10 to 15 to 20-year horizon... Doesn't yeah. make a difference, and as long as you're not going to beat yourself up for seventy-five thousand dollars, which, to my mind, is irrelevant. I mean, it's like three hundred fifty dollars a month on a mortgage. Like, who cares? Well, I'm just saying, as long as you, as long as you don't emotionally, beat your, emotionally, you don't beat yourself up. I'm Adam Lesser, and I am Joshua Townsend. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Story.